1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five-day returns on your next order. Quince.com/slash
0: style.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that simply everything has its own history. Like tea. Caps and eggs. Or rain, strain and stain. Uh,
3: it's, it's a wet one today and I feel like a drowned rat. Or annoyance, annoyance, annoyance. Sam, I am singularly vexed uh, after Friday night. And one lady after the show had the temerity to come up to me and correct my pronunciation. <laughs> you know, you put all your love and energy into entertaining an audience, and one particular individual feels the need to come up to you afterwards and say, um, um, by the way, um, Stay, tell you what you've done it's, wrong. It's Lieutenant, not Lieutenant. <laughs> I think we should
2: do the history of pronunciation. I think we should do the history and of pronunciation. annoyance and or, or rants.
3: It was nice of her to come <laughs> and let us know. I felt so comforted by it. We will be following, however, the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of fire is all about the Reformation, civilisation, Vietnam and cultural awakenings? Ooh. Or that the history of Wales, this is the the um, the sea thing, Rather than the, the the nation, the great nation, the history of Wales is all about perfume, migration, discovery, and fables, and long classics that are like reading through treacle.
2: The man sitting opposite me, ladies and gentlemen, he is the Buckland Abbey uh, of history. He's the home of Tudor history. Buckland Abbey being where Francis Drake was. Yes, oh, clever. clever, clever. I've just discovered, actually, it was built in the 13th century, which I had no idea about.
3: It was an, it was an abbey that was then dissolved uh, during the Reformation oh. and then went into secular use. Uh, the man sitting opposite me is the Charles Howard of Effingham, the Royal Ad- Lord Admiral himself, man of seafaring stories, the wonderful historical adventurer Dr Sam Willis.
2: That is interesting, but wrong. Is it? Yeah, because he was not an experienced sailor. It's one of the interesting things about the Armada: people not doing the right jobs.
3: Apparently, he was a quite a good leader, though, and gave um, and gave, gave uh, aristocratic heft to it. Yes, he did. He did. Yes, but there are tales that he threw up aboard ship, which are, which are apparently wrong. Mm. Uh, I think it was it, it's it's people trying to sort of you know sow seeds of, of misinformation. Fake news is an old that thing. That is interesting
2: as well. It's like people saying that being sick on a ship is some kind of a bad thing and makes you not the right kind of man to do the job, which is nonsense. You know? I I get very seasick. Yeah, I do. As well. I feel uh, terrible. Really? Yeah, but you've been all over the place on ships. I still feel seasick?
3: Nelson was seasick.
2: Oh. yeah. It doesn't make you a lesser man.
3: No, 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 no. Absolutely not. I I have no trouble with my my sense of masculinity because I can't. Yeah,
2: I thought you did. <laughs> because I'm, I because I fear heights and I'm terrified heights. Really? Yeah, I didn't absolutely know terrified. In what way? Um, I'm afraid of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no,
3: no, 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 But there's a kind of rational sort of, oh, that's uh Oh, yeah, I'm afraid a that a job. height
2: is going to come and beat me to death in the street.
3: Uh, I'm afraid that I'm going to hurl myself off. There's what, a lot of people who suffer from vertigo. Uh, it's not this sort of rational sense that you're, you yeah, know, you're sort of... Um, you're, you know there's a long drop and you may trip or anything it's that you are drawn to the edge oh, okay. <laughs> you know it's that you
2: will do silly things no I just become kind of paralyzed I get very sweaty palms and I get very very frightened and actually when I when I was younger everyone um I learned to sail squaring ships and I spent a lot of time on board ships sailing um and climbing up aloft was it was I think the most difficult thing I've had to overcome in my life and I hated it um but you did it. I did it. Yeah. So
3: you've got, but you've been you have been all over the place, climbing on all sorts of tall things and up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Great walls of China. Worse, the the and... older I get, the more the more. Oh, um...
3: I'm I'm getting worse as I get older. Mm. Um, my seven year old uh, is just laughs at me. I'm you know and can just go up
2: anything, mm. uh, but I'm just you know dreadful. Anyway, we digress. We do a little. Oh, um, James and I were talking at the Gloucester History Festival at the weekend, and it was very very. Lovely talking in a um, priory. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, and before that, I gave a talk on the Spanish Armada because I've just little, written a little book on the Armada, and there were loads of people there. The place was full. Um, maybe another uh, a couple of schools came along. So I decided we'd do a little thing, an unexpected history of the Spanish Armada. Sam, I have your book here. Mm. Uh, this is the Ladybird expert book, The Spanish Armada. This
3: looks uh, to me like uh, it's quite small. I think it would fit beautifully
2: in a Christmas stocking. <laughs> <Don't> they, <laughs> I don't you? I think it probably would. Um, right, <laughs> so, what's, what do you think the normal or expected history of the Spanish Armada is? I mean, I think we should start off with what's kind of obvious before we decide to go at it from a slightly different perspective. It's a kind of
3: rivalry between England and Spain, yeah. uh, an economic rivalry, so there's that. It's uh, There's a sort of standard build-up to it. There's the the way in which the English are plundering the Spanish ships. There's a difference in religion, uh, so you've got Protestant England, uh, you've got uh, Catholic Spain. Um, quite close relationships between them, though, because you know, don't forget that um, you know that, that there have been lots of Anglo-Spanish marriages. Uh, um, Catherine of Aragon married not just one Tudor monarch, but two. Uh, she married Henry VIII, which everyone knows about, uh, but. Fewer people know that she actually married his brother, Arthur, who was supposed to be uh, king. Um, and then, of course, there's Mary Tudor, who marries uh, Philip of Spain, uh, who is, in fact, the man um, you know, sending the armada over. There's then all the sort of maritime history, uh, the sort of military side of things and the, the sort of um, the strategy and the plan for sailing over and meeting up with Palmer's 30,000 troops. Um, there's then the history of of how that went. Uh, so there's that sort of standard standard yeah. history, which you know infinitely better than I.
2: No, well, is, the point is there is a standard way of doing it and I think people at school will be learning the, the sort of the basic tropes of, of what goes on in the armada. So who's expected to win, why they're fighting and what happens, yes, basically. Exactly. You can look at the aftermath of it as well, you can look at all the shipwrecks, you can look at the maritime yep. archaeology. Um, but we, we like doing things from a slightly different perspective, yes. don't we?
3: yes. And if you if you were but before that, if you were looking at the standard narrative of it, you've got set piece the set piece Tilbury speech, which you might be asked
2: to look at. You've got the Armada portrait, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, for me, I, I've just been thinking about this the way that we can look at it in a different way, and I think that the Armada is all about collapsed expectation, mm. panic, Ooh, smell, beards. And fabric, I suddenly realised that fabric is actually everywhere and and um, affects everything we ever do in in history. <laughs> well, for me, it's about fire, the post, um,
3: propaganda, spectacle, and xenophobia. Mm. Yeah, it's totally about xenophobia. It is. It's about scary Spaniards. Should we start with that? Because that's a bit like what it's to do with panic as well. That is a bit. That yeah yeah yeah. We can start. We, we can start with that. Um, Do you want to start about beacons? I wasn't going to start about beacons. I was going to start with... Well, there's beacons as well, but there's also... I can start with beacons. Let's start with
2: beacons, because I reckon we can then talk about panic and xenophobia at the same time. so
3: the idea behind the beacon system is... What is the beacon system? The beacon system is you have, along the coast and also inland, you have a series of beacons. In other words, you have these sort of tall metal baskets that you would have... that would have had... um, uh, sort of wood in them, and when you had a sighting of a ship or an enemy, you would light the beacon.
2: So the flames would light up, but also they would chuck out um, gallons yeah. of smoke, and you'd yeah, yeah, be yeah. able to see the smoke for twenty-five miles away. For twenty-five miles so away, so then it would bounce across yeah. the top to the
3: top And if you if you sighted, you know, a small number of vessels, one beacon would be lit. If you sighted, um, you know, more than two or three, so a sort of flotilla. Um, Two beacons would be lit, and if you saw three, if you saw sorry, three beacons would be lit. If you saw uh, a, a, an, an army, an, actually, an army actually landed. actually invading. Now, if you look at some of the evidence, particularly down in Plymouth, uh, and particularly down in Devon, and the local lord lieutenant uh, there, um, it's the evidence is that people didn't actually light the beacons down in Devon for fear that what that would do would be set off panic yeah. among
2: the people of Devon. You know, they would go they would go absolutely berserk. So there's a, there's a, there's a really interesting point about this and and the first is that if anything the Tudors were pragmatists, right? So the likelihood of being invaded by sea was very high. So it would it would actually cause panic because people thought there was a genuine likelihood that they were going to be invaded. I think that's the point. Yes. So between the Norman Conquest 1066 and 1588, when the Spanish Armada comes, England has been invaded by sea, leading to a change in ruling power eight times. So the, uh, the Tudors themselves invaded by sea. Yes. Henry Tudor came across on a boat yes. with a fleet.
3: I believe you on that eight. I, I I believe you.
2: Yeah, I'm sure it is. Henry Tudor himself came across on a boat before Bosworth, before he fired... Richard III and the ends the Wars of the Roses. He's yeah. invaded by sea. So if anyone yeah. knows this is true, it's the damn Tudors. They're, they yeah. know that that's yeah. how they actually secured the country. So the point is, is it is actually quite likely. And you're chipping around minding your own business in Devon. Yeah. Um, and suddenly your life, your religion, your, your houses, your, your families, everything is under threat. So think that is linked with xenophobia, isn't it?
3: It is linked with xenophobia. I mean, it's partly because there are close links between Spain and England, not only dynastic, but also through religion. Um, there are a large number of Catholics who are still living in England, um, despite the you know, change of religion towards uh, a sort of Church of England that we can trace back to Henry VIII and see through Edward VI. Uh, Mary sort of takes uh, the the country back to to Rome, the church in Rome, and then Elizabeth comes along and we have an Elizabethan settlement that establishes the Anglican Church. Uh, in the 1570s, um, Catholicism is outlawed. So there are recusancy rules passed, and a recusant is somebody who, who, obdurately, um, sticks with their religion and refuses to outwardly conform, um, or, or refuses to conform, and they can be penalised for it. There is a fear among the. English government, but also a sort of suspicion among the Spaniards that a large number of English Catholics will rise up in support of a Spanish invasion, a Spanish invasion to reassert Catholicism uh, and also as a reaction to the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots. Um, if you have a look at some of the archaeology of the ships that went down during the Armada, there are some pretty lavish swords with bejeweled hilts on them, and these it was thought were supposed to be gifts to the aristocratic Catholics to rise who, would, up. Who, would, who would who would who would who would rise up. There are there are there are all sorts of things. There are there are English Catholics who are actually on the. Armada vessels as well, um, some of which are English. Some of which are English. Not many, um, but there are a few. But there are there are a few, and there are there are a number of of merchants in Bristol who were persecuted because they put profit above country, and basically they give um, they start selling arms to the Armada. Um, but this is connected to xenophobia because the reaction of the English government is basically to. Um, to demonise the Spaniards, um, and we have a we have a there is there is a Catholic tract um, by Cardinal William Amlyn called the Admonition to the Nobility and People of England and Ireland, basically getting people to rise up against the against um, the English Crown, um, and Elizabeth is demonised by the in the in this pamphlet as a, an incestuous bastard. Begotten and born in sin of an infamous courtesan, Anne Boleyn. So this is this is published. And in reaction to this, we have a number of pamphlets that come out sort of saying, you know, don't listen to this sort of this sort of Catholic propaganda. You know, when the Spaniards invade, it will be pretty awful. And I'm gonna read you a little extract here from Henry Barrow's A Brief Discourse. What favour can English Catholics then expect of a foreign army, especially of the Spanish soldier, who in the opinion and report of those nations which have felt his fury and endured his yoke is very hardly thought of and almost infamous for his pride, insolence, cruelty, ravishments and such like kinds of violence. Small favour or courtesy, God what? Is an Englishman to hope for at a Spaniard's hand, be he never so Catholic. The Spanish soldier, where he is Lord, never useth to ask or to hear whose wife is this, whose daughter, whose sister, whose house or whose goods are these. A Catholic's wife, daughter, house and goods are as sweet to him as another man's. And what pleasure would this be to an Englishman, whatsoever his religion be, to see his wife forced, his sisters ravished, his daughters deflowered, his house sacked, his goods... Killed and spoiled by a stranger before his face. So it's basically saying you let these people, these Spaniards, in, and they will basically rape and steal from you. Mm. Uh, and there's a propaganda, there's a there's a proclamation that um, that Walsingham issues around this around the time of the Armada, basically saying that when the Spaniards come, they will. Torture you, and he's so graphic about the the descriptions of of women being raped and children above the age of seven being branded in the face. So it's really trying to perpetuate this sense of fear of an out of an invading force of an outsider.
2: And the controlling the panic. The point is they yes. don't they don't light the beacons. Yes. So so the way yes. the beacons are supposed to work is if you see a ship, you light it. Yep. And it's well known that these beacons are lit, but they weren't lit, specifically yep. because they were afraid of causing panic. Yeah, um, And actually, this the, the fear, the state's fear of panic being caused, and that would then affect the English ability to fight off the Spanish. Yes. That's part of a history of panic, um, which is fascinating. Yep. I've got a lovely little quote here. The people are panic-stricken. All that could have left. The poor are nearly all on our hands. There's no money in the city treasury. All pecuniary aid will be thankfully received. Fever is increasing. Samuel Levy, mayor. And that was written um, to a senator, Senator J.R. West of Louisiana in America in 1873. It was very interesting. Back in his state, it's all to do with um, the fear of... of Disease, cholera, yellow jack, and when disease came, that was as influential in disrupting um, disrupting life and and making sort of the rules of life, the order that kept everything together, completely yeah, collapsed. Yeah. That was a massive problem as late as 1873. So we're yeah. talking about 1588. This is this is 300 years later, and there are people hugely concerned about the impact of panic which is caused by disease, let alone an invading army. But it's all part of the same story, isn't it? It's all part of the same story.
3: It's anarchy. Anarchy and the breakdown of the structures of of government and society. Yes, absolutely. But there's
2: another little story um, linked with this. This This is panic caused by illness. Yeah. So... Once the Royal Navy, once Drake and, and his others actually come to grips with the Spanish for the first time in the far west of the channel, yes, something really interesting happening. A ship is captured called the Rosario. yes. and another ship, the San Salvador, explodes. Yep. This allows the English onto the Spanish ships, and thereafter it utterly transforms their, their tactical, strategic approach to dealing with the Spanish Armada. And one of the things they find out is that the ships stink and the sailors are diseased. And this causes such immediate panic that, that all of the English sailors get off the San Salvador. They just—they have nothing to do with it. They, they, they just they just leave it alone. They didn't capture it. They didn't take it back. They, they simply left it. However, mm. this knowledge that they kept brought with them, they didn't want to in, infect their own fleet, utterly changed the way they dealt with the Spanish Armada. And thereafter, they, they're much less... Um, standoffish, literally. I mean, they really get, get involved and they be- they become much less afraid of the Armada. So they know the Armada's coming, you see, because of all of the intelligence that's come to Walsingham. Then the point is they know the Armada's coming yes. in terms of number of ships. Yes. But they don't know what condition it's in. No. So they're terrified of it. Yes. completely bricking themselves. Yes. And then when they actually get on a ship, they're like, well... <laughs> They're not organised. They're all going to die, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the yeah. men on board are dying already. They're yeah, like was, the, the ships are kind of crewed by skeletons, basically.
3: I, w- I was also reading some of the archaeology about it, mm. about the ships, and some of the f- finds that have been um, made off the Irish coast, and some of those ships show evidence of, of basically just ill preparation. Yeah. Um, you know, the wrong kinds of cannons and all that sort of thing. One of the reasons that... The, that mm. The English knew about the Spanish Armada was because a lot of the correspondence was written in secret codes and Thomas Phillips, that guy who we talked about with um, when we talked about uh, Mary Queen of Scots and the Babington plot, he's the sort of, he's Walsingham's master code cracker. He gets hold of the Armada codes and breaks them. Uh, It's one of the most famous things he's most famous for. Um,
2: Yeah, so the Armada is all about codes um and smells and smells I mean, that that yes. smells actually is yes. a really interesting point so um hmm. do you know what scrofula smells like no but i can Im-
3: i can imagine we've talked about scrofula before oh haven't god, we god the seeping pore on the- yes in yes. terms of uh, it's the king's um the king's evil so it's a sort of it's a skin wasting disease right and um the and the the poor who were suffering from it would come along uh, to royal ceremonies, and, and, then, if and if they touched the king, and if they touched the king, if the king touched them, uh, they would. That's it. Just be, the, it they the, would be. They yeah. would be. The royal touch would cure them of scrofula.
2: Well, scrofula smells like stale beer. Oh, not too bad then. <laughs> uh, what, about t- what about what about typhoid fever? Uh, mustard. Baked bread. Baked bread. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yellow fever. Um curry. A butcher's shop. Oh. Butcher's shop. Ooh. Oh, that what kind period. that
3: meaty. Yeah, but it's have... sort of you know, like sort of
2: I mean but but in terms of in terms it of goes whether to the it's sort of shop. butcher shop. Butcher's shop pre refrigeration Yeah. But it'll have that um like slightly... it'll have that metallic tang of blood. Fungy. And, oh, oh god, god. Um, Diphtheria? What does that smell like? Oh probably like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Most things smell like chicken. Diphtheria is it just sells, smells sweet. And then, um, the inability to metabolise methionine. Smells like boiled cabbage, apparently. Ooh, yeah. Uh, But those are pretty unpleasant smells, and I think you'd notice that there would have been a very distinctive... It wouldn't have just been smelly. Yes. It would have been... These English sailors would have smelt something which would have immediately alarmed them, and they would have gone, actually, we've got a serious problem on this ship, so we're off. So it's all to do with smells as well. It's all
3: to do with spectacle. Yes. Spectacle and deceit, because uh, one of the interesting things That's is about, like is about the Tilbury speech. So the Tilbury speech, which, um, you know, the date of it is the, is it the, 9th, the 18th of August. Um, and the Queen leaves London, goes to Tilbury, where all the troops are massing. Meanwhile, the, the Spanish fleet is being sort of chased up the Irish Sea. Up towards Scotland, so um, I mean, some of the thinking is that they've actually gone and they're no longer a threat. But but you know, I think I think in terms of you know in terms of what we know about their, the potency of that force, they probably still are a threat. But nonetheless, Elizabeth, more or less in safety, is there with all these troops and does this sort of rabble rousing speech. Um, you know, to try and 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 gird their their sort of loins and you know make them be courageous. Um, and in fact, she's doing it in relative safety. But I'll just read you uh, an extract uh, from the speech. My loving people, we've been persuaded by some that are careful of our safety to take heed how we commit ourselves to armed multitudes for fear of treachery. But I assure you, I do not desire to live to distrust my faithful and loving people. Let tyrants fear. I have always so behaved myself that under God I have placed my chiefest strength and safeguard in the loyal hearts and goodwill of my subjects. And therefore I come amongst you, as you see at this time, not for my recreation and disport, but being resolved in the midst and heat of the battle to live and die amongst you all, to lay down for my God and for my kingdom and my people my honour and my blood, even in the dust. I know, and this is the famous bit, I know I have the body but of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king, and of a king of England too, and think foul scorn that Parma or Spain or any prince of Europe should dare to invade the borders of my realm, to which rather than any dishonour shall grow by me... I myself will take up arms. I myself will be your general judge and rewarder of every one of your virtues in the field. This is interesting in several ways. Not only the the, the Spanish Armada is miles away uh, and probably no longer any threat, it's also interesting in terms of how we think about the gender of monarchy and the kinds of roles that a queen might play we have a woman on a battlefield here with a male breastplate on, armoured breastplate, presenting herself in very martial military terms. So that, that's absolutely key. The other thing is there's a raging debate among academics about whether this is actually authentic, uh, whether these were Elizabeth's words used on the battlefield here or whether it's in an entirely fictionalised account. And the latest research says that this is actually not authentic. These are the words that, they, that historians wanted to be remembered. So when you see it reported later on, this is the version that's been put forward mm. after the event. So that's a form of propaganda. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, very interesting. I just want to come back to fabric
2: quickly. Have a look what at that. What you got? Oh, goodness me. What's that? It looks like the Turin Shroud. It's cool, isn't it? What is it? It's a naval banner. I oh, um, love a, it. It's a flag that was flown at the Armada. It's one of only two Ooh. 16th century flags to actually survive. The other one comes from the Battle of Lepanto in 1572. I've got some great fabric stuff. This is cool. This came off a Spanish ship that was wrecked on the sort of Flanders banks and it ended up in a, in a church in Leyden. Mm. It's about three and a half meters long. The original would have been twelve and a half meters long, they reckon. Gosh. Mm. Um, and that's long. What's important about this, right, is if you look at images of naval battle from this period, it's quite yeah. easy to to kind of stop and and overlook what what is actually grabbing you in the eyes here. Have a look at this one. This is one of the well-known ah, contemporary, yes. contemporary accounts of the Armada at the Battle yes. of Graveline. So you've got maybe, uh, I don't know, 70 ships are depicted yep. here. And the one thing that really gets you is actually their 90% fabric, aren't they? Yep. All of these sails, every single one of them has got banners and flags. Yep. And I mean, there is, you think of naval battle as being all about wooden ships and iron cannons. Yeah. It's not. It's actually as much as about soft and and, and lost material. Um, which is why that flag is so so important, because it actually makes us stop and realise how important flags and banners were yeah. in battle Symbolism. Like not only that, but that flag that was flown in the Armada, archaeologists now think is 100 years old. It yeah. was 100 years old yeah, yeah, yeah. in 1588. So it was a flag that was made in 1488. 1485, maybe? Yeah. So the Catholics are putting on a display of military might in the same way they have been doing for over 100 years. Mm. And uh, it makes you realise just how important these kind of flags and banners were to, to, to that kind of conflict. It was, it was as much soft as it was hard. And I suppose
3: that also, you've got to think about tactics for dealing with that fabric yeah. militarily. So taking how do you take the wind out of yeah. people's sails and the kind of cannonballs that would have gone through that? Mm. Um, I saw a brilliant... Uh, Talk on cannonballs at the Vasa Museum, which I think we've spoken about, and cannonballs that would kind of come in two parts. And the idea was not that you'd knock holes necessarily in the war in the in the ship itself, but that you'd basically split the sails. Yeah. But for me, um, the armada is all about post.
2: Okay.
3: it's all about the postal system. Um, now this is it's partly a matter of communication. Now the. This is where the Duke of Parma and, um, you know, the the chap um, running the navy, um, Sedonis... Dina um, Sidonia, Yeah. Um, can't communicate with each other, despite the fact that they're sending mail backwards and forwards, but they're not receiving it. Also, Philip, down in Spain, uh, is unable to sort of really get decent messages across because the way in which... Post was carried was by horse throughout this period, and so you were, If you think about the, if you think about the way in which there's no postal system, so you're looking at people riding on horseback from one postal hub, hub to another on a particular designated route, changing horses and then going on to the next, and it actually means that communication is very very slow. Um, we can see the way in which London would have communicated with the people on the uh, on the English ships because we have letters that survive. I've got here an example signed by William Lord Burley to the Lord Admiral uh, um, on the sent from um, London on the 26th of August, and it's basically uh, it's basically uh, a letter. Um, That is, asking the Lord Admiral um, to sort of give um, news of what's happening. And we can see exactly how long it takes to communicate because at every single postal stage, the postmaster has signed, docketed on the outside of the letter, the time that it was received. That's fascinating. And so we can see that it's left London on the 26th of August at nine in the morning. It's then reached Dartford at two in the afternoon, Rochester at five, Sittingbourne past six, Canterbury past eight. And so it's basically, you can follow its journey all the way down the postal road. And when we we talked about letters, I think we mentioned this, that you can actually map how long the country is and how wide it is in postal
2: days. Mm, That's interesting. It's all about that. Postal geography. Postal geography. Well, I feel we could carry on for some time, James, but I think it's also time for us to wrap up here. I feel we could. We could. Maybe we'll come back to the Armada, but it's really yes. nice touching on it and yes. saying that there are all sorts of different ways you. can We go haven't it. even talked about the
3: Armada portrait, which people should look at. Armada portrait with the with the pictures of the
2: Armada in the background. Elizabeth, portrait in the background. The first. Yep. Yes, it's in Greenwich. It's brilliant. Um, and also, collapsed expectation. I wanted to talk about that. There are so many different ways of looking at this. I think I'm going to come back to collapsed expectation. Yes, basically, I think you the should. Armada was a massive disappointment for the Spanish and a massive disappointment. Of the English, and in this period, everything was was pretty much disappointing. Yes. But it's not the only armada, is it? There were many armadas afterwards. No, it's not the only armada. You need to look at 1595 and 1596, the most yes. immediate ones, and then look all the way up to things like 1777, yes, American Revolution. Right? And in
3: fact, very soon after the Spanish armada, the English went down to Spain to try and invade there as well. They did. They failed. Yeah,
2: absolutely, it's very very difficult waging war in this period. And then they gave up uh, to fight France. Let's France. leave we it there, ladies fast. and gentlemen I hope you enjoyed that, do please get in touch with our Armada stories, there's plenty of Armada um, stuff in our new histories of the unexpected, the Tudors, oh, which you also have a look at. Um, there's, a, there's the Armada in our live Tudors show which we'll be touring very soon. Absolutely, we're rehearsing at the moment, I think we're going to do a dedicated podcast on the development of the Tudors show, because we're sitting here with two massive pieces of rope in the corner they're over brilliant. there, and they, they're smelly, aren't they? Very you smell of hemp and um, coir. I, th- I think I just smell like damp dog
3: today, <laughs> so I can't smell anything.
2: It would be very, very kind of you if you could spare a couple of dollars a month for our Patreon account. We're saving up to get some better recording equipment. We currently record in the shed down the end of my garden, and I live near a train line. We have to stop every 15 minutes because the train <laughs> goes past. It's so annoying. And we'd like to be able to um, at least rent out a recording a recording studio to do it in if you could just please donate a couple of dollars a month it would make all the difference you can find us on patreon.com forward slash histories of the unexpected that's all for now um, well, they can also follow us on twitter you can at unexpected pod uh, unexpected pod and at james daybell and at dr sam willis
3: and our what brilliant website
2: yes histories of the unexpected.com it's all there brilliant have a lovely day everyone speak to you soon bye, bye.